Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling. Today, I'm glad to be joined by my good friend, J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. J.D. is a well-known author and speaker. He's one of my favorite pastors. I listen to his preaching podcast quite often. I really enjoyed his book, Jesus Continued, which really talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, he's back with a new book called Gaining by Losing, and this is not a diet book. It's actually a book about developing a church culture that is invested in sending and multiplying and not just building the, that physical church in that phys- that one community. So we'll, we'll talk about this kind of gospel culture in a church. We'll talk about racial reconciliation, uh, both on the local level and the national level. And then I'm going to quiz him on what he thinks about Michael Jordan as being the best basketball player in the world. I'm a Chicago and I have very strong opinions about that. And I just wanted to get his take on it as a basketball fan. Before we begin our conversation with JD, however, I want to tell you about an important new resource that we have here at the ERLC that we call the Weekly. Uh, This is a weekly email newsletter that's curated and written by our staff here. And we take the most important news stories and offer a brief explanation and then links to find out more. Most of us are incredibly busy with our families and our jobs and projects that we're working on. News is streaming in from all kinds of sources online, Twitter, Facebook, and we don't have time to digest it all and think about it with a distinctly Christian worldview. And so we've prepared the weekly as a quick, informative read. It might take you 15, 20 minutes to scan through it, and then if you want to take a deep dive, you can click on some of the information we have in there. To sign up for this, visit my website, danieldarling.com, and click on the link there that we'll send you. We'll get you all set up. You really need to have this if you want to be informed and educated about the things that are happening in the culture. But for now, let's go to our conversation with my friend, J.D. Greer. Well, J.D. Greer, thank you for joining me on the Way Home Podcast. Appreciate it. Oh, I'm grateful to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I have to ask you, first of all, is this J.D. Greer or fake J.D. Greer? Because one never knows. (laughs) Well, see, I mean, I, I'm going to say J.D. Greer, but the irony is if I told you that if I'm not fake J.D. Greer, there's just, I mean, there's no way I win in this. So yeah, let's just say that he, that fake J.D. Greer is omnipresent. You know, I think the identity of the person behind that is is a secret that's harder to crack than like Deep Throat was during Watergate. <laughs> I've tried to find out and it's probably better. In fact, I've even solicited fake J.D. Say I can contribute a lot to fake JD. I, there's a lot of things that I yes. want to say that I, I don't feel like I can twi- tweet. So let me be on on it. But yeah. I've never gotten anything back. So. I, I actually pressed a few candidates lately and asked them, and I got pretty good answers, but not. They were like non-denial denial. So, anyways, <laughs> right. investigation Just always continues. beyond us. But thanks for for joining me. I appreciate it. I want to talk about a bunch of things. You have a new book out called Gaining by Losing why the future yeah. belongs to the churches that send. And so there's a lot of topics in here that I think are really, really good. You talk in here just about how you served overseas for a couple of years, right? That's correct. Yeah, I served in Southeast Asia with the International Mission Board. Yeah. You, you talk in here early in the book about how um, you know you, you served over there, you came back here, seminary and everything, and then you became pastor of Summit Church. Mm-hmm. Um, but how a, a return trip to Southeast Asia, and then coming back kind of changed the way you think about the church in Raleigh. Uh, mm-hmm. How is that? 
Well, so when I went back over to Southeast Asia, I went to the city where I had lived. And the city, um, it's not that big, but it has these gates that you go through. It's mm-hmm. a Muslim, fundamentalist Muslim area. And as I was passing underneath those gates, I had this sudden surge of memory about how I used to feel about that city. Um, that was my city, um, mm-hmm. not any weird territorial you know, thing, but it was just, it was, you know, I was the only um, witness, me and my roommate, that had moved there intentionally to share the gospel you know, as far as we knew, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of looked at, at schools, like my schools, I would prayer walk it. I mean, there was just a sense of, yeah. of this is the city God designed to me. And I, I noticed that when I came back um, to the United States and I started to pastor a church, I, I didn't look at my city that way. Um, I looked at my city, if anything, it was kind of like a host culture out of which you would draw up people, but the real focus was on building, you know, this church. Right. Uh, you know, the, you know, every mega church, every every young seminary graduate's dream is a great big church and a pretty little wife. You know, yes. uh, they usually end up with a you know a pretty little church, and you know you could fill in the blank. But you know, <laughs> I, that's just what I was after. I was like, I want this big, you know, church, and 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 I'm just going to use the city to do it. And there was this kind of moment where I was like, I you know, my my focus in ministry was idolatrous and, and it wasn't that I wasn't pursuing the right things in the sense of, you know, where we were preaching the gospel and discipling people and doing things that churches do. It's just that it was all about, you know, I kept saying thy kingdom come, mm-hmm. but it really was, it was, it was my kingdom come. And it was that, it, that, that realization along with a couple of others that really kind of transformed my heart to say, we've got to be more about sending than we do, we are about, you know, seating capacity, sending capacity instead of seating capacity. Because if the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is grow a great big organization that's good for me, good for you know, my name, good for, you know, my lifestyle, then, I mean, ultimately, I'm no different than people in the world, you know, right. who, who are building their kingdom. But if it's about God's kingdom, then it just means that we change the equation of what we count as success. And what's, you know, what we give away becomes really important, whether it's leaders or money, it's, it's, it's seed that goes into into planning the kingdom of God. You know, that's an interesting perspective because I wonder if that shapes the way that a lot of evangelicals think about America, about kind of their home communities here in the West, and maybe one of the reasons why we're having some difficulty with kind of changing demographics. And I don't want to say it's a, we're in a post-Christian era, but, you know, a, an era that's less nominally Christian. So perhaps like an older generation, our perspective you know, on America was kind of like we're a Christian nation and evangelism is just kind of, you know, gathering people who are nominally Christian and just kind of having them connect the dots and becoming saved. Whereas now our communities are much more diverse, right? So we have right. we have different religions, we have secularists. So taking a kind of missionary approach to our communities, is that is that kind of what you're encouraging evangelicals to do increasingly? Yeah, yeah. Well, so so, so, so gaining by losing, the, the, the book really kind of focuses on two fronts. One front is the church planting focus, where mm-hmm. you know I'm encouraging pastors to think about their sending capacity in terms of sending out some of their best members to go plant churches, whether it's around the city or around the country, and sending out members you know overseas and, 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 and gaining by losing that way. But there's another dimension that I get into in the book in which, and this is your right on it, um, in the, to use like, you know, cliche terms, in our post-Christian culture, there are fewer and fewer people 
who are just, you know, migrating into churches because they feel a void in their life, you know, yeah. needs to be filled. Now, there, there's still some of those, and we need to, you know, we need to set up our churches so that we receive them well. But, you know, I saw this, um, I read this uh, survey done in Great Britain a few years ago, where 70% of British people say that they don't anticipate going to church hmm. at any point in their life. Wow. They're not saying that meanly. They're not saying, I hate the church. I'm never going. It's just that in their life, you know, they just, they wouldn't go on a holiday. They wouldn't go if there was a national crisis. They wouldn't go if they felt lonely. You know, it's just, they just don't think of the church as, uh, well, well, that is a a, a pretty far advanced post-Christian, you know, kind of culture. We're not quite there in the United States, but we're, we're getting there. The amount of people who check none on religious surveys increases at at an alarming rate every year. And those are the people that are just not going to say, man, I feel sad. I'm going to go to church. Yeah. And so if we're going to reach those people, it's not going to be because we have better seeker services. It's not going to be because I preach more engaging sermons or because we have an awesome band and you know have a smoke machine. It's going to be because we train our people to carry the gospel outside of the church, outside of the church to them. Um, I'll use this analogy for your, your, your listeners who you know, are kind of trying to process what this looks like. When I lived in Southeast Asia, it was obviously a fundamentalist Muslim culture. Um, there was a local mosque. Um, I never went into the mosque. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone if the uh, the imam had suddenly, which is their version of a pastor, had suddenly brought in a kind of a percussion band to do the prayer chance by. I wouldn't have gone if they had redecorated. I wouldn't have gone if they had awesome first impression scene. I wouldn't have gone if he was doing a helpful series on relationships. I just, there's just no reason that I would ever go yeah. because I'm not a Muslim. Well, more and more, more and more people in our culture are getting that way. So they're not just going to like, oh, it's Easter, let's go to church, which means we've got to reach them outside of the church, which is why part of this book is about sending not only to plant other churches, but sending, empowering your people to go out into the community and carry the gospel as they go. Yeah, and it would seem to me that a couple of things, for one, it seems to me our evangelism would change in the sense that the message, the core message hasn't changed. But I think, for instance... And I live here in Nashville, you know, sort of Bible Belt. But even in my neighborhood, uh, there's a lot of Christians, but one of my new neighbors is a Shiite Muslim. Another one is Sikh. Uh, There's another one that's a secularist. And so I I was under no illusion that the first time I I go over there, knock on their door, and I hand them a plate of brownies, and I'm going to give them a track, and he's just going to say, what must I do to be saved? Like, there's... There's the idea, right, that you I have to right. build long-term, deep relationships, knowing that it may be two or three years before, and, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit can do His work quickly, obviously, but it's going to be a while before He's ready to receive the gospel. And so, I guess one of the things you're probably doing here is training people to see their world as more of a mission field like that, right? It's built on... So, I wrote a previous book called Jesus Continued by the Spirit Inside You is mm-hmm. Better Than Jesus Beside You. And I kind of look at gaining by losing as the companion practical volume mm-hmm. to the theological, you know, the, um, truth of Jesus continued, which is basically the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That that Jesus's vision about the greatness of the church was not in you know thousands of people thronging to hear the anointed preaching of one awesome, you know, one awesome guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I love great preachers, and you know, I, I'm all into you know having big churches and big evangelistic events. But ultimately, Jesus' vision of the greatness of the church was in ordinary people filled with the Spirit who were taking the gospel into their, into their communities. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus said, greater works than I've done, you will do. Mm. Um, what was the fulfillment of that? 
Well, I don't think he was just talking about he was going to leave behind 12 preachers or 11 preachers, the 11 apostles, and they were going to be even better preachers than he was and be able to draw bigger crowds. In fact, I doubt any of them ever got anywhere close to Jesus's preaching ability. It's that the greatness of the church that he was thinking about is when each individual member was filled with the Spirit. And so when we begin to teach people that it's not, you know, um, success for us is not me gathering and counting you. Mm-hmm. Success is empowering you and releasing you like a dandelion. You know, just, yeah. um, when, when the dandelion ex, you know, explodes, its ability to multiply is so much greater than if the dandelion just kept, you know, getting larger and larger in its circumference. Um, that's the vision of the church that Jesus, um, that Jesus had. And, and won't this cause us to to look at our commu- changing communities and not be threatened by it? By, for instance, you know, many Muslims moving, and I think many evangelicals in the West are threatened by Muslims. You serve time in a Muslim country, but instead of looking at it as a threat, but as an opportunity, right, to deliver the gospel to the nations right here in our communities. No, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, in our globalized culture, I mean, I'm not saying, let me be very clear about this. I'm not saying that we don't need, you know, scores, hundreds, thousands more missionaries that are going over to live Mm -hmm. in, you know, unreached people groups. But in our globalized culture, um, we just have some of the best and brightest of around the world that are coming to study in in our universities. Raleigh, Durham, where I live, is a particular attraction point for them. Um, you know, I, I read recently, I was reading a book on Al-Qaeda, and it, you know, it pointed out that one of the, the top leaders of Al-Qaeda went to UNC wow. um, as an undergrad. And I'm thinking, these are the people in our backyard. They're mm. going to be leaders in all these different spheres. And so, yes, if we could engage with them, and what that means for us is sometimes planting churches outside of our church in Raleigh-Durham mm. that are better suited to reach some of those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the churches we started last year. Um, was a church that was that was focused. Um, its primary focus is in reaching displaced internationals. It's not that we don't also reach them at the Summit Church. It's just that this church, you know, had that more as, as part of its core constituency. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, Dan. It is threatening as a pastor when you start thinking about growing churches, giving away members to grow churches that's not yours. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of pastors are really going to have to wrestle with that. Yeah. You know, are, am I okay with growing the kingdom of God, even when it doesn't benefit me personally? Um, but if we're going to see the nation reach and transform, it's not going to be through bigger and bigger, you know, Western churches. It's going to be by this multiplicity of church planning and, and all different strata. Yeah, you talk, you have one chapter where you, you talk about aircraft carriers, cruise liners, and battleships. Can you expand on that in terms of sort of a metaphor for the types of churches? Yeah. So I heard a, a, a Southern Baptist, one of my favorite Southern Baptist preachers one time saying, and I, the point he was making was accurate. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Hmm. And he, what he meant by that, and again, I 100% agree, is that you know a lot of churches get in the habit of thinking that they're a country club for Christians and all hmm. the amenities, and we're definitely not that. Battleship is a much better metaphor because they're, you've got obviously the, the ship is designed for battle, and when that's true, all the priorities change. But I would, you know, want to suggest a third metaphor that I think actually is a little bit more in line with the Great Commission, and that is not a, a battleship, but an aircraft carrier. Um, you know, my grandfather served in World War II on the USS Yorktown, and he used to tell me stories when I was a little boy. Um, and he, one of the things he would tell me is he would say, son, you never 
want to fight the battle near the aircraft carrier. Mm. The aircraft carrier, if it's fighting a battle close at hand, that's a bad day. It wants to take the battle elsewhere. And so the aircraft carrier's role is to equip the planes, load them up, and send them out to, you know, to, to take the battle to the enemy. Well, I think that probably is a better metaphor for the church in that a lot of churches do see themselves as battleships, which is better than cruise ships, but they kind of are like, what are we going to do in this community? Where, whereas I think what Jesus was talking about is see yourself as equipping your members so that they can take the power of the Holy Spirit out into the broken places in the community, whether that's the campus or the workplace. Um, you know, you've got uh, 40 miracles in the book of Acts. Hmm. Of the 40 miracles, 39 of them happen outside of the church, hmm. which that's more aircraft carrier because it's not like, yeah. you know, big, you know, kind of big guns that, that you just pull into the harbor and shell the, the island. It's that, man, I, I've loaded up these planes and they're going into the neighborhoods and, and they're carrying the gospel with them as they go. Yeah. And it would seem like a, a battleship mentality would be a defensive posture that sometimes could view the community not as a mission field, but as a threat to their sort of way of life. And, you know, we got to go back to, you know, the good old days or whatever. I've seen some of that mentality and I'm sure you oh, have yeah. Well, I, I feel like a lot of uh, believers now are kind of like, well, we've lost the culture. And <laughs> so let's hunker down. Yeah. Let's point our guns toward the sky and let's just make sure nothing gets close. Right. And God save our children. Um, <laughs> and, but, but, you know, Jesus's promises about the church were not, you know, defensive. They were, you know, you storm the gates of hell and they will not be able to withstand you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not the first person to point this out, you know, by a long shot, but the gates of hell, the gates are a defensive weapon of the enemies. Mm. It's not that, you know, the gates are our gates and we're trying to keep the enemy from getting into our gates. It's that we're actually taking the battle into his, into, into his arena. Mm. And in order for that to happen, churches are going to have to see their members as multiplying, replicating um, disciple makers who go into the community and into the international, the refugee communities and into the workplaces, mm. and they make disciples there. And I, you know, I guess the whole point of the book is it's going to require a different kind of thinking of, from church leaders, mm-hmm. because it, it, most pastors are going to always go to the measure of success is how many people do you have and how big is your budget? And that's just not the kingdom of God's priorities. And it's got to be a hard paradigm shift for pastors. I, I pastored for uh, five or six years and um, kind of a revitalization and, you know, you're primarily thinking, how do we keep this thing afloat? How do we keep this thing going? How do we build this thing? Which isn't all bad. But to to actually get into the mindset of, you know, we're going to give up people. We're going to let some of our best people go to go plant a church or to go overseas or to wherever. That's got to be a very hard paradigm shift for, for many pastors, right? No, it is. And I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, but I will say that most pastors have gotten very accustomed to teaching their people to do that with their money. Mm. And we believe it. I don't think we're hypocrites. We we know that, I mean, you don't give to God, uh, let's just use the tithe, okay? You, you don't give your tithe to God or your first fruits because you can afford it. You give because God is a priority, and we believe that in honoring God first, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cliche goes, you can't outgive God. And man, I've, I've lived that now for, since I was you know, 15 years old, my parents mm-hmm. taught me to, to tithe. I, I've seen that I cannot outgive God. He always takes care of my needs when I honor him. Um, well, in the same way, we as pastors have to think that way with our leaders, where we open our hands and say, God, I'm not going to give away my leaders because I can afford it, because I can't. 
I'm going to give it away because that's the way you said the kingdom of God would grow. You see, you know, John 12, he compares it to a seed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeds, most seeds are the kind of things you can grind up and eat, you know, turn into grain and you can eat yourself. Hmm. Or if you plant the seed, you know, you, 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 you surrender your ability to use it for food. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, it has the potential to grow a harvest. And I think, you know, what we see, what we've seen at the Summit Church is as that we take our hands off. God has taken that seed and he has multiplied it, not only in the churches we planted, but he's multiplied it back to us. Mm. I, I mean, I, I don't want to get too mystical here, but it's that giving principle that goes all the way through the Bible that you just can't outgive God. Mm. And so the more we give away our leaders, the more, you know, God seems to multiply them and give them back to us. So, yeah, when, when, when you're a struggling church planner and you're trying to hang on to everything you've got, I understand that. There's certainly a phase where you're trying to establish the core. But I, w- I would just encourage other church leaders to you know look at the, their leaders and their churches the same way they teach people to do their money and just take your hands off it and say, God, I trust you with it. And I'm going to give I'm going to give away some of my best so that you can multiply it and give it back. I mean, you know, here I am, I, I, you know, um, the summit church is I mean, God has blessed it. It's grown. Um, you know, numerically itself. And mm-hmm. we've seen that, that we don't, we didn't have to choose between giving away and growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we gave away, God grew us. There seems to be a joy there too, right? Once you just kind of release the, the, the desire to have to control how big it is and just, you know, like, I'm sure there's such a joy when you guys are able to send off people and see those church plants really uh, flourish, or you see missionaries go to unreached people groups and see them flourish, right? There is nothing more joyous. Well, first of all, there's nothing more boring than living for your own kingdom. It sounds so exciting when you're thinking about, I'm going to build this and do this, and people are going to say this, and I'm going to, you know, it's just, yeah. but it, it just ends up getting bored. But when you open your hands and you let it go, I mean, yes, when I announced to our church, like this, this, this week, we got one of our church planners that we sent out three years ago with 30 of our people. Mm. Man, it was, it was, it was hard because when he took 30 of our people, these were people who were generous and led ministries and it was painful. Mm. Um, now their church is, you know, over a thousand people. That's that fantastic. They, they, wow. I mean, our, our church will just, they'll go nuts. They'll come unglued yeah. when just could, because they get to rejoice in, in that oh, success. Yeah. It's really, you know, so so yes, it's 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 joyous. At the same time, Dan, it is scary and painful. <laughs> um, I was just sitting, you know, with um, our four church planters for the year, and they're each going to take, you know, more people. Going to take twenty five, thirty people each. Mm. And I'm, I'm sitting around the table with them, and they're going around the room sharing who they've recruited onto their team because we give them a, a pretty open headhunting license. <laughs> And man, as they're going through, I'm hearing the names of people that I don't want to lose. And I feel this kind of sense of like, almost like somebody's punching me in the stomach. And I, I had, I talk about this in the book. I had to take my hands and put them underneath the table. Um, and nobody can see this, but me and God. And I forced myself to open my hands to God Hmm. to say, God, this is your church. These are your people. It's not mine. And if you're going to take it out of my hands and, and, and it's okay. Wow. Because I know that you're just going to multiply it so that we have a harvest of righteousness in years to come. Wow, that's great. We got a few more minutes here. One of the things that I really thought was really neat about your book is that you said one of the sort of fruits of this this paradigm shift of gaining by losing is racial reconciliation in your church and the churches you're planting. Can you talk about that and how that happens? Yeah, at first people kind of say, well, it almost seems like a non sequitur, like here's a random you know thing he threw in. But let me use an analogy first. Um, 
you know, if you're a pastor, you're trying to cultivate generosity in your people. You don't want just a, you know, them to give generously of their money and be really stingy, you know, at home with their time or with their, mm-hmm. you know, their patience. You, you want to, you want to, you want to see a generous spirit develop that will end up creating generosity, money and generosity in every other sphere. Well, in the same way, sending is not just about sending people and raising up leaders. It's about developing a different mindset that instead of looking at the church as, a place for us. It looks at a place for us to, you know, bless and minister to the outsider. And one of the places in our culture that that hits um, the most right now is, are we going to be churches that are multicultural? Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, it's going to be because those of us in the majority culture begin to give up some of what we think is comfortable so that we can have a truly, you know, multicultural um, uh, community that we live in. Uh, you know, one of the things that I always tell our church or remind them, uh, my friend Vance Pittman always says this, is that the way that you, the only way you can be sure you're in a multicultural church is that sometimes you feel uncomfortable. Yes. If you don't feel uncomfortable, you're not in one. If you never feel uncomfortable, it means you're in a multicolored church, mm. which is basically a bunch of people of different, you know, uh, colors that have all learned to act according to your culture. Mm. That's a good um, And word. so I, we want to see that, 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 that mindset develop. And I, I noticed that it was the fruit of the sending mindset, which is let's do what it takes to embrace those around us, even if it means it's not what we, what we would naturally choose for ourselves. Yeah, when you're driven more by mission than by anything else. But right. That's awesome. And you you talked in there, and I think you're right about this, that we're in, in, in sort of a Kairos moment on race. Uh, we just obviously witnessed the tragedy, but yet the kind of healing that the church in Charleston brought to us. And it's been a rough year on racial issues. I mean, there's been a lot of flashpoints, but you talk about us being in a Kairos moment. Why do you think that? Well, you know, I mean, you're definitely not implying this, but a lot of times the the rough year ends up creating space for leaders to rise up. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders don't rise up because there's no challenge. And and I've seen, just let me just use my church, um, I've seen these events, even as recently as the Charleston, men really bring out um, some exposed, some weaknesses that that I've had as a, as a leader, some blind spots. It's um, raised up some African-American leaders in our church who have you know, um, helped guide us and speak wisdom. And I think um, what we're seeing in the culture at large is that we are really good at expounding the law of multiculturalism, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the U.S. is clear on that. We want to be, you know, we're, you know, um, all peoples are equal, but we're not good at actually creating multicultural unity. Mm-hmm. Um, at our church, we say we don't want to just host multicultural events. We want to live multicultural lives. Mm. And the U.S. is not good at that. We still see these big distinctions. I, and I read this fascinating article in The Atlantic, um, obviously not a Christian you know, publication or Christian article, but it was talking about how um, people that, that uh, they took a subset of people who checked the box that they preferred to live in a multicultural neighborhood. And they, so they, they followed those people and found out that, I mean, this extraordinary percentage, I can't remember exactly what it was, but let's just say like 80%. Of the people who want to live in multicultural neighborhoods will still gradu- um, gravitate toward people of their same culture once they get in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So it's like we like it as a theory, but when it actually comes to living a multicultural life, we, we don't know how to do it. And so I think the church has the ability now to say what you want, what you say you want in the law, the gospel is able to produce. 
by creating in you a spirit that is generous, a spirit that is humble, a spirit that is peaceable and is able to get along in, in, in multicultural environments. I agree with you. There's just such a moment right now for the church to rise up and demonstrate that. And it's encouraging to me and maybe to you as well to see pastors shifting from the idea of, you know, that would be kind of nice if we had churches that were multi-ethnic to actually making it a and seeing it as a sort of gospel imperative. Um, yeah. And, and you have probably seen that shift in your church and your leadership as well, right? It definitely has. It's gone from kind of like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if? And I mean, that's yeah. where every church starts. And yeah. uh, I don't want to discourage anybody, but it starts with this like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah. And then you get into it and you find out it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it is hard, yeah. hard, hard to, um, to, to pursue that. There's a reason that we gravitate, you know, back toward people of our own culture. But, um, you know, you're, you're right. People are starting to see that it, it, it's a betrayal of the gospel if the people of God cannot mix and get along and you know, thrive in unity um, inside the body of Christ. I mean, we're supposed to be able to say humanity is, is united with, we're, there's only one race, human, there's only one problem, sin, only one Savior, Jesus, only one hope, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And all the rest of the distinctions are trivial compared to the, the, the mm-hmm. unity we feel around those four things. Well, that's a great word. I really appreciate you joining me today, J.D. I have, I have one more very, very serious question. I know you're, a, right. you're an NBA fan like I am. I'm a Chicago <laughs> Bulls fan. And you don't believe this fiction that uh, LeBron James is the best player of all time instead of Michael Jordan, right? What foolishness. I mean, it's kind of like, I look at people like, I'm having trouble even taking you seriously right now. <laughs> I mean, if I were going to put together an all, uh, you know, all-star team, the starting lineup from all time, LeBron would be on that list. Yes. He would make the top five. But let's be clear who the MVP would be. It's the UNC Chapel Hill graduate, Michael Jordan, who went on to make, you know, Chicago Bulls famous. Amen. So, yeah, I'm with you. That uh, makes my heart feel strangely warm right now. But anyways, <laughs> I appreciate you joining me, JD. Great stuff. I encourage everyone to get your new book, uh, Gaining by Losing. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank JD Greer for that terrific conversation on sending on racial reconciliation and even talking about michael jordan if you enjoyed this podcast please let us know by emailing us at wayhome at erlc.com or better yet write a review for us on itunes we need some good reviews on there reviews on itunes don't just flatter me and make me feel special but also let other people know about the podcast if you're interested in our other conversations with christian leaders like oz guinness or bob lapine david platt matt chandler Molly Hemingway, many others. Check out the podcast page on danieldarling.com or subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or however you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to sign up for our new email newsletter called The Weekly that curates news stories and explains them to you with a distinctly Christian worldview. Visit my website, danieldarling.com. We'll have all the links there and we'll get you set up. But for now, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.